0: Good morning again, guys. Good morning. You guys uh, comfortable out there? It's like it's a little. I feel like I have to turn on the heat up here. Are you? Are you good? Yeah. I'm. I'm good. All right. Awesome. Good. My feet are cold. Your feet are cold. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Open up your Bibles, too. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. If you remember last week, you know, we talked in chapter 12. We started looking at the seven key figures uh, that will play the, play some key roles in the second half of the tribulation. Uh, you had the woman, which was representing Israel. You had the dragon, which was representing Satan. You had the man child, which was referring to Jesus. You had the angel michael which was the head of the angelic host and then you had the offspring of the woman who represented the one who came to those who came to faith during the great tribulation or during the tribulation so this week in chapter 13 we're going to look at the last two and perhaps maybe the two that get the most attention which is a shame because of course jesus was in that first list there but a lot of times people are fascinated by these last two characters you have the beast that comes out of the sea which represents the antichrist and then you have the beast which comes out of the earth which represents the false prophet who promotes the antichrist so let's get into it in verse one it says then i stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his heads a blasphemous name now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So once again, we are introduced here to the beast that is coming out of the midst of the sea. And as I previously mentioned, that is going to be the Antichrist. The beast, it says, has seven heads, which is a reference we'll see in Revelation chapter 17, verse 9. That refers to seven mountains and most likely a reference to Rome because it was built on seven hills or mountains. Uh, then you had the ten horns, which again in Revelation 17, 12, uh, it's letting us know that that's going to be consisting of ten future leaders that come through the through Rome. Then you have ten crowns, which is a reference to Daniel chapter 7:24. That's just kind of letting us know that the Roman Empire would be revived in a ten-kingdom format. There's going to be some sort of multiple-kingdom format coming through Rome. And on its heads, it would have a blasphemous name. So, again, talking about just the blasphemy that's going to be coming out of this. Uh, He's going to be like a leopard, it says. His feet would be like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon is who gave him his power throne and great authority so like the dragon who was described in chapter 12 remember he had seven heads and ten horns this beast is going to be much like that dragon with the exception of it's going to believe it's going to have seven crowns not ten now there's a lot of different people who have different ideas of what that is, but I think the most common one is, you know, the dragon with the seven crowns is believed to be emphasizing his complete power and authority. Seven is a number of completeness. So his complete power and authority, whereas the beast has 10 crowns which sent, seems to be emphasizing the rulership over those 10 great nations. Okay, kind of the headship of that. And he and of course he's going to be characterized by blasphemy, just the way that he conducts himself and the way that he's speaking. Now, when John describes the beast as being like a leopard, a bear and a lion, it turns us back to Daniel's prophecy in chapter seven where the leopard represented the Greek empire. The bear was the Medo-Persian empire. And then you had the lion, which was the Babylonian empire. It's kind of taking you back to those things. All of those kingdoms were mighty and they were terrible and they were conquerors and they came in and did some terrible things. But it was the fourth kingdom that's going to be on a a whole different level, and that was the kingdom of Rome. They kind of put it all together. You had the power. You had the worldwide influence. You had all those things. So this is going to be kind of a combining of all of these kingdoms. Daniel chapter 7 kind of talks about this in verse 7 and 8, kind of taking all their characteristics and coming together. It says, After I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong, it had huge iron teeth and it was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was, a, it was different from all the other beasts that were before it and it had 10 horns. I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one coming out from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So this is talking about the transition Rome, kind of that Roman entity that's going to be there in this last day with the antichrist is coming these nations that are going to be raised up once again but this is going to be something different this beast is going to be far greater than all of these other ones that have been previously mentioned as far as their power when it came to the greek empire and the medo-persian and the babylonian and even roman empire it's going to be on a whole different level of what this power is that's that's included with this at the end of verse two it informs us where Where this ruler is going to get all of these, all this power from, it says, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Now the dragon, if you remember, the dragon is Satan himself. So Satan is going to endue this person with great power, throne, and authority. So this beast, obviously is a man, but he's a man that will somehow be empowered by Satan himself, perhaps even being possessed by Satan himself. And you may you know I think that we forget how rare that actually is. That is a very rare thing that Satan himself would possess someone. Because remember, he's just an angel. He's a demon at this point, a very powerful one. But he can't be everywhere at all times. So it's not like he's possessing multiple people everywhere. It's his demons that are possessing other people. If there's possessions, it's most likely his other underlings that are possessing other people. Satan himself rarely possesses someone, but we have some examples where he did. Think of one that comes right to mind. I mean, you think about one time when he possessed someone and it was Judas. He possessed Judas at that time. Why did he possess him? Because that was a very important thing that was to be done. He did it himself. Now this Antichrist who's going to be raised up, this man that's going to come to power, he will be either possessed or just greatly influenced by Satan himself. So you think about that. What he's doing is very critical. It's very important to what Satan is trying to accomplish. In verse 3 it says, And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast." So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who is able to make war with him? Now some people interpret that passage as being talking about Rome like a government that had been dead and that was revived. They say that's what this is talking about, that there's this mortal wound was, you know, Rome actually going away and coming back. I don't happen to believe that that's specifically what it's talking about here. I really do believe that this is a mortal wound that's going to be sustained by the Antichrist. There's going to be something that is going to kill him. Whether, you know, again, I don't know if, if it's a sword, I don't know if it's gunshot, I don't know what it is, but he's gonna somehow be mortally wounded and rise from the dead or at least appear so, however he does that, okay? Now, the enemy is going to use that instance when that happens where he's miraculously healed from this mortal wound to convince the world to follow and worship this man, the Antichrist. You think about that, you know, because he's going to be influencing people ultimately to worship Satan. They're going to be worshiping Satan and the antichrist at this time because he comes back to life just think about everything that we've talked about that they've already experienced think about all the judgments that have already fallen you had the two witnesses and they were you know fire was coming out of them they were killing people and you had those you know remember the pictures that we had up there you know you had these horrific creatures with serpents tail or uh, scorpion tails and lion's heads and all these things think of all the things that they've lived through at this point now you have a person who basically dies And he comes back to life, and they're like, we're following him because he's indestructible. He holds the key. He can survive this. So think of how the enemy can use that at that moment with the people who are still remaining on this earth. You know, when you think about that, the Antichrist is not necessarily... When we think of anti, we think of opposition, and it can mean that. But it also can mean instead of. So Antichrist can be instead of Christ. And that's important because these people had previously rejected, I mean, if they're still alive at this point, they had rejected Jesus prior to this time. Now, I do believe some people are going to get saved during this time. But up to that moment, people who went into the Great Tribulation, they had rejected Jesus up to that point. The one who did die for, the one, for them, the one who did raise from the dead. They had all those things, and Satan comes up with a counterfeit. And they say, we'll follow the counterfeit. We'll follow him. It just shows the blindness on there. They, they won't even understand that, wow, he's copying what God has done. And that's what Satan likes to do. He likes to counterfeit things that God has already done. They're going to pledge their allegiance to him. And in verse 5, it says, And he was, giving, he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme in his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear." He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. So it says he was given a mouth to speak great things and blasphemies and given authority as well for 42 months. Once again, alluding to that three and a half years. This is happening in the second half of the tribulation. So for three and a half years, he's given authority. He's given everything he needs, the power to do these things. Verse 5 shows that the beast was allowed to make great boasts and blasphemies while waging war during that time. He's even going to be allowed to blaspheme God himself, his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. He's going to be, I mean, he's just going to be boastful about these things. And there's going to seem to be no repercussions for him as he's getting all these people that are following him and they're, they're putting their trust in him and it's going to seem like nothing is going to stop him. He was even permitted to make more with the saints and to overcome them, it says. So God is going to allow him to make war with the saints and overcome them. So think of the confidence that they're going to be having in this man. He's going to receive authority over every tribe, every nation, every tongue on earth at that time, so that all the people of the earth will worship him, at least those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life, it says. So there will be some that will not worship him. They're not going to be deceived. But what is the distinction between these people who worship the beast and those who do not? How did they separate themselves? How did they not get deceived? It was dependent upon if they were born again or not, if they were believers or not. If they were believers, they were not going to worship this man, no matter what he does, no matter what signs happen, no matter what miracles take place. They were not going to worship him, and the rest of the world was. It says that the people's acceptance of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world is what kept them from being deceived and given over to the idolatry of the beast. And the amazing thing is, is that God had made that salvation available to them before the foundations of the world were ever laid, He made it available to them before the fall of man. Before anything had ever taken place, God knew this time was coming and he had already made a way for them to be saved, but they did not want it. They rejected his offer. They didn't care for it. Paul wrote a little bit about this in his second letter to the Thessalonians. In Chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, it says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul told about this. He says, this is going to be happening. There's going to be this, this... falling away that's going to take place and then this man of sin is going to be revealed which is the antichrist he is the son of perdition he opposes and exalts himself above god and he's going to claim to be god and people will worship him as that this is the time this is going to be taking place in verses, chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, he writes, The coming of the lawless one, again speaking of the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan. So once again, the empowerment of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. Think of that. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They wouldn't receive it. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So it's not just that they don't believe, but they're going, they had pleasure in unrighteousness. You know, for those who aren't saved, God allows them to be deceived through a strong delusion that will cause them to believe the lie. And again, it's because they wanted to take pleasure in unrighteousness. Romans 13 verses 9 through 10, I want to read that in the CSB. And I think the translation will clarify this a little bit. It says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. If anyone is to be taken captive, uh, taken captive into captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword, he will be killed. This calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. In other words, during that time, there's going to be nothing seemingly to stop these things from happening. And that's why it says, this calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. When you think of endurance, you think of remaining under, a pressing down of sorts. This definition that I use often is, this would be characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose, and his loyalty to faith and piety, even by the greatest of trials and sufferings." So a person who is endurance, they're not swerved from it, they're not, they're not taken off course of their endurance by any trial that comes their way. They're gonna remain steadfast. Faithfulness is the character of one who can be relied upon, one who does not depart from the faith. So the qualities of faithfulness and endurance are very important during this time. The problem is, these are qualities that are going away in our society. Faithfulness and endurance. These are going away right now. Right before our very eyes. You know, we're talking about the workforce. Uh, you know, I'd mentioned, you know, that what we're dealing with and what we have been dealing with for two years, have never experienced anything like it. Uh, and it's not just our company, it's every company. You know, we had shared all the different ones, the firefighters, you know, quitting and you think about that, man, that's going to be a crisis with these wildfires that are coming up and they can't get enough people to go fight these things. We have teachers that are quitting in droves right now. Teachers that are not coming back, retiring early, doing other things. Uh, You've got police officers that are quitting in droves now. They don't want to do it anymore you know doctors i mean you name it every single profession right now it's not like anybody is growing everybody is struggling everybody's hiring everybody's trying to do this and man that's a scary thing because if we have this whole problem across our entire society where you cannot find people who will be faithful and endure what are we headed into and it's not just the workforce i mean you think about marriages i can't even imagine the conversations you have right now i you know again if they won't if they won't be faithful if they won't endure hardship they'll just pack up and go somewhere else families now i mean the current age now i don't know exactly what it is but i've heard something like early early 30s if people are going to have kids that's when they're starting to and i'm not saying that's bad but that's way different than every other generation like i i'm amazed how many people don't have kids i've got several friends that that don't want kids They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with the problems and all the things that come up, the difficulties, right? They just don't want it anymore. But it's not just the workforce. It's not just marriages. It's not just families. It's in the church as well. It's in the church. Faithfulness and endurance is lacking in the church. You know, I can't express how grateful I am for those of you who have who've been faithful and endured. You know, with us showing up, participating in the body, uh, ministering one to another because that that's important. Financial support, serving. You know, all these things that that it takes for a church to survive. I mean, it's it blows me away that honestly we have survived. Um, I don't know if you guys have this here, but. if you still have facebook maybe i'm one of the last three people that have facebook or something i know everybody uses everything else but it you know it still pops up like memories and stuff and just recently it popped up memories of things we had in the ministry and you know this place was packed you know all the seats were filled and you know and and i just started looking at the faces that were gone and i'm not you know some of these people still listen online and stuff so this is not to be a guilt trip or anything but i think man how many have gone away how many in two years. Yeah. You know, we lost a lot of people when COVID hit and they just didn't come back. Uh, and it just like, you know, I hope they went to other churches. I don't know if that to be the case or not, um, but man, we lost a lot. We took a major hit and it's just been a struggle now for two years. Um, so when I think about how faithful you guys are for being here and still helping and contributing, I mean, we this you think about this. I mean, just put it in perspective. How, how much would it take for this ministry to shut down? Wouldn't take much at this point. Yeah. It really wouldn't. You know, just because there's not a lot left. And this is not great advertisement for people watching this teaching online, but, you know, it's the truth. It's, you know, it's, uh, it's the truth. If, you know, it's, we're just at a point where if there's not faithfulness and endurance through this season, we cease to exist as a church. And I think that the danger is a lot of people don't want that. Nope. They, they don't want to endure difficulty. They don't want to go through a season of faithfulness, right? You know, I mean, none of us do, but when people come to a church, they're like, oh, man, you know, this, is, this doesn't have this, and this doesn't have this, and this doesn't have this, and it's too small a group, and it's, you know, that guy in worship was terrible today, not Drew pointing at me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Just like back there punching the walls right now. You messed up. No. <laughs> but... Uh, you covered you, well. Yeah, did I? Yeah. I, I pushed the button at the wrong time. <laughs> but, you know, I just think about the fact that if these quality traits are lacking in the church, then no wonder they're lacking in the world. If, if people aren't willing to endure difficulties for the sake of improving something, making it stronger contributing so that it can be stronger if they're not willing to be faithful whether it's in serving or showing up or whatever um man if if this is a place and i and i don't believe this to be the case just in this church i i know it's it's really strange the dynamics right now for churches are really strange talking to other pastors the little churches really got hit hard with COVID. It 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 put a lot of them like us the big churches grew. They got much bigger. They got much stronger. Um, Stronger, you know, in some ways maybe weaker. Okay? But it it just, it's just strange to me the times that we live. That, uh, how it's affected the church. But, the real the reality is whether it's the church or it's outside the church if people are willing not willing to exercise faithfulness and endurance whether it's their marriage uh, it's work if it's the church whatever it is because they feel like they're some t- they're somehow entitled to a life that does not demand such things from them and that's that's what i think we're in right now is a lot of people feel like i i don't have to deal with this i i don't My life shouldn't be required to show endurance or faithfulness. I'll just go somewhere else where it's not required. So instead of developing the attributes of faithfulness and endurance in the midst of difficult circumstance, they just relocate themselves. They just go to a different business or they go to a different church or they go to a different relationship they just relocate themselves because they think if i go over here those problems will exist and then i don't have to endure any difficulties i don't have to be faithful i'll just go to a place that already has that like already ratcheted up and i'll just go with the flow but what they don't realize is everybody's struggling with faithfulness and endurance i tell this to the guys who quit i you know all the time it's like you know i'm gonna go in here i'm gonna make you know another buck an hour i'm like do you really think they're not gonna have the same problems we have do you really think that they're not gonna have the same struggles that we deal with every single day with guys calling out sick and somebody's got COVID again or somebody just quit again? Do you really think there's any business out there that isn't struggling with these exact same things? And they're like, no, it's, it's gonna be better. No, it's not. And you're gonna to have to somewhere decide to be faithful and endure in order to make it better. But if you keep on hopping around from job to job to job to job, it never fixes the problem. Nobody can recover. And it's the same thing in a marriage, right? If you can't get someone that says, yes, we've got difficulties. And yes, it's going to be tough. But I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to endure. You're just going to go from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage. And if it's ministry, it's the same thing. If you're hopping around from church to church to church to church, they're all going to have their problems. Somewhere you have to say, I'm going to plant. And I'm going to be part of the solution. And I'm going to help do my part to contribute to make it better. We are severely lacking in faithfulness and endurance. And it is setting up everything for the Antichrist. Because everybody's going to be looking for the solution. At this time they're going to want an easy button. They're like there's wars, there's all these crazy things happening. My life is at risk and he's going to be like I will provide food for you. I will provide a job for you. I will provide all the things that you need. Everything that you need. I'll provide peace. I'll have all those things. And they're like we'll follow you because I don't want to be faithful and I don't want to endure and that's why the Lord that's why the Lord said this. You know in verse 10 it says if anyone is to be taken a captive into captivity goes if anybody is to be killed killed with the sword with the sword he will be killed this calls for faith calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints in other words you will have to show endurance and faithfulness like you have never shown during this time if you're alive because otherwise you will worship the beast i would be you, Hey, hence the point of my message. Okay, <laughs> don't steal my thunder. It took me a whole week to come up with this. Okay, but back to verse 11, it introduces the second beast, the beast from the earth. It says, then I saw another beast coming out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and, a, and spoke like a dragon. And he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This is why I don't believe it's talking about a government. It's worshiping a man at this point. So that's why I don't agree with them saying it's Rome that they're referring to. No, this is a person. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by a sword and lived. So this beast, or what you know most refer to as the false prophet, who is going to be serving as a counterfeit holy spirit of sorts, in fact, because Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light, many commentators have pointed this out. I thought it was just one guy, but I read it in several commentaries. The dragon or Satan is to be the counterfeit father, the beast is to be the counterfeit Christ. The, And then the false prophet is the counterfeit Holy Spirit. This completes the satanic trinity, they say, the unholy trinity. Because he, again, he mimics what God does. He can't create these things. He tries to do it himself, to mimic him. So this second beast will act like a lamb, but he's gonna have the voice of a dragon. And despite how meek and mild he comes off in appearance, his words are gonna be empowered by none other than Satan himself. And he's gonna be instrumental in motivating people to worship the beast. He's gonna be his greatest proponent. He's gonna be the greatest promoter, the greatest influencer of the people, pledging, helping them pledge their allegiance to the Antichrist. And he's gonna use that miraculous event of the beast's recovery from death as his main argument. He's gonna point to that and he's gonna be saying, look at how he came back from death. Look at how he survived this. You must follow this man. He's gonna, he is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been waiting for. He's going to be the spokesperson for that. How fitting that, you know, they're even copying the Lord in that because without the resurrection of Jesus, the Bible tells us we have nothing. And this false prophet is going to be standing there using the supposed resurrection of this man as evidence of his deity. He's just copying that. So... But there's going to be many other signs that he's going to use to deceive the people into worshiping the Antichrist. And once he has achieved that, he's going to convince the people that he is deceived to create an image of the beast so that they can worship that image too. It says in verse 15, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no, man, no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man, number of a man, his number is 666. So once that idol is made and set up, it says that the false prophet breathes life into the image of the beast. So they create this image, this idol, they set it up in the temple, and he breathes life into it trying to replicate creation with Adam, how God had done that. Then once showing life, that image of the beast begins to speak and demands that people worship the image or die. He now starts thinking that they create an idol and think of all the idols that were created before and one of the things that's said about them is they cannot speak. They cannot do these things. This one is going to speak. This one is going to defy those things in the word of God. And it's going to be saying these kinds of things trying to promote this idolatry. He's also going to institute a financial system that requires people's allegiance to the beast just to buy or sell. It's going to be a mark of sorts, and it's going to be tied to the number six six six. Without that mark on their hand or their forehead, there is no way to purchase food or make a living of any sort, and that's what we refer to as the mark of the beast. So, what is the mark? Is it going to be a literal six six six? You know, on their hand or forehead? Forehead? You know, um, is it going to be? Is it a code or a formula? I mean, think of how many people have you know done some numerical you know, thing to come up with a name of who it's going to be, and they just say it's gonna be this person at this time and all this stuff, right? The truth is, I don't know, and neither does anyone else. We don't know who that's gonna be, and we don't know exactly how that's gonna play out with the mark of the beast. We just know that there's going to be something on the right hand, you're gonna have something on your forehead. It's gonna be something tied to that in some way, a number. This I can tell you, though, Christians must not be superstitious and allow superstitions to govern our thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) It's funny, you know, sometimes selling tires and it'll come up, okay, it's $666, and they're like, (gasps) can you make it $667? actually they always want it cheaper so can you make it 665 but it's like it's funny how people are like that and just think about yourself you know you go somewhere and it's like 666 it's like oh i don't yeah people don't want to do that i mean we think that way and remember that's superstition we can't give in to superstition you know because that's where a lot of the the wrong teachings come from i've heard things recently like it's going to be the COVID vaccine you know that's going to be the mark of the beast some people are like it's the chips in our credit card You know some people are like it's it's the chips and your pets you know they're testing them on them first it's like maybe it's doritos it's those chips i don't know where it's going to be okay but it's going to be they they all have their their idea of how this is going to happen the the thing is nobody knows exactly how this is going to happen they've already been implanting people on the right right here yeah with chips that have all their information on it possible i'm just saying nobody knows how this is going to happen. Everybody is speculating on how it will take place. The Bible doesn't tell us anything but this. This is what we got. And then their minds run crazy with, this is exactly how it's gonna take place. I don't know if it's gonna be that. I don't know if it's gonna be a tattoo or some kind of invisible. I don't know how it's gonna be. All I can tell you is there's gonna be something that takes place that can be used. What I can tell you is we clearly have the technology at this point to do it. We clearly do. We have the technology. It can be done. When does that come into play, though? When does that happen? That's the key right there. After we're gone, and yet so many Christians focus so much of their attention on identifying the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. Guess what? if you're born again you're not going to be here to even know if you're right okay (laughs) so you you know all of your speculation means nothing at that point you don't even know if you won all right because you and i should not be here during that time we should be with the lord the rapture should have already taken place we should be gone and this is even true for those who are wrong but mid-tribulationists as well okay because they're out of here by that time too so it's, it's not something that, that we should be focusing on and yet so many Christians focus so much of their attention on this particular aspect. And sure, it's, it's interesting, but you can't be dogmatic about it at all. You can't say this is how it's going to happen because you don't know and you won't be here. Something is going to happen, Guaranteed. And probably we have the technology for it to take place right now. Just don't get so wrapped up in it right now. See, why are you looking for the Antichrist in his number when you should be looking for Jesus Christ? You know, as a believer, that's who we're looking for. We're not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not going around like, oh, it's going to be Trump. Oh, it must be Biden. No, it's not Biden. You know, I mean, there's just all this stuff. We can't be like... Trying to figure out, well, who is this Eastern leader that's rising up that suddenly is going to take control and get it, bring about peace? We can't be trying to figure all those things out because, again, we shouldn't be here for those things. We should be long removed by that time, before he even gets on in the public eye. We should—we're not going to be around. The Bible tells us, you know, when when a lot of these end times things start developing, look up for your redemption draws near. We should be our attention if if and i do believe that we're living in this age where things can start ramping up very quickly things can start really happening very quickly when it comes to prophetic things that need to take place or eschatology i believe that we're living in that age where it could change tomorrow i mean things can go crazy on us real quick i believe the lord could return at any time Um, but how sad when we allow the enemy to steal that from the Lord. Our anticipation should be for him, not the Antichrist. Our anticipation should be living the life that he wants us to live during this time, knowing the time is short, and not being so focused on conspiracies or, you know, everybody's theories on how this is all going to be and wasting all that time and effort on that. Let's focus on the Lord returning and looking for him. You know, what is it that we can learn from all this? Well, we can learn that this is going to be a horrific time for anybody to experience. And it should motivate us to do our very best to make sure that people that we have the opportunity to reach, we reach them. We do everything we can to reach them with truth and the love of the Lord. Because I don't want anybody to go through these things. This is gonna be a time where Satan is gonna spare no expenses to accomplish everything he wants to accomplish. He's going to, again, be directly involved with this. This is not going to be a task that he hands off to another demon. This is going to be his direct involvement with the Antichrist. And then you have the false prophet on top of that. And then you've got the image on top of that. You've got just these crazy things happening. It's very important to his plan to try and upend what the Lord is doing. He knows the time is short, though. And he's going to be wrapped... I guarantee he's gonna be ratcheting up his efforts right now to put everything in place and some of the things that we're seeing right now developing you can just see how it's kind of all falling in line the division and the fighting and man even amongst the churches I hesitate to say this because I know that some people will not like this okay with uh, this particular author but I do like to read sometimes things that challenge me a little bit differently and this author is Andy Stanley, and he's got his problems, okay? But this book that he read, I, I heard a, uh, I heard a uh, interview with him on it, and I'm like, I, I wanna hear more about what he's saying here, because he had some good insight in what he was saying. And the title of the book is Not In It to Win It. And his observation was, he is surprised at how churches and Christians, how quickly they have turned against each other over the last couple of years. He says, you know, this COVID thing, it was not just a dividing line for the world. Like you have those who were vaccinated and those who were not. You had those who are, you know, whether it's, it's Christians and non-Christians, all these different viewpoints. He goes, but within the church, it became a very, very, very divisive thing very strong opinions from everyone and it just kind of ripped apart several fellowships and ripped apart several relationships that had been there for years you know and the one point that that i think he made very well is you know when we look at christ christ was not out attacking other christians and he definitely was not when you see his example he allowed himself to be wronged more than defending his own rights And he goes, and his fear is that kind of whatever, it's an audio book, I'm listening to it. His consensus is we're losing that in the church. That we're not in it to win it. We're not in it to be the political powerhouse all the time. We're not in it to always have the right answers and, you know, always don't take away this right and don't take away all this stuff, you know. And, And I say that in... I want to be careful with that because I do think that there are some things that we do take a stand on, but have we gone too far in taking these stands? Has it consumed us? Is there any theology left in the church for losing and being wronged? Is it there at all anymore? Or have we gone so far to one side that we can't even imagine giving up anything? We can't even imagine losing. And accepting it. We have to be careful. Because when you look at Christ, you see that example of there was a time. Well, come on guys, the crucifixion. He set the standard. There is a time to be wronged for the sake of others. There is a time. What we cannot do is forget that. Because we have to be balanced people. We have to be balanced. in the way that we speak truth but in love. And when we find ourselves in a situation where maybe, you know, I, I think of one example, one example that just popped in my head. Good friend of mine, he pastors a church, and uh, we got invited. It was at the beginning of the COVID thing, and we got invited to, um, to go to a men's breakfast with them. And their a small church too. And my job at that moment was requiring face masks. Like it was early on, like I could not be in public without a face mask. Otherwise I had to be isolated for like 14 days. It was when all that thing was really big, right? So we showed up and, and I told the guys who rode with me, I'm like, if you're in my car, you're gonna have to wear a face mask. You guys can do whatever you want. But when it comes to myself and my kids, I, we have to have face masks on, you know, cause I'm not gonna risk not being able to work. So we showed up and there's I don't know, maybe seven to ten of us guys. And we were the only ones in face masks. And we just heard about it the entire time. The entire time. Like, you don't have enough faith. They didn't understand the circumstance I was in. I pastor a church and I work providing for my family. I can't just stop doing that. I have to go to work. That's the stuff that I'm talking about. We're so quick to get so dogmatic about things that we like that we don't even stop to consider there may be something else going on. It's not in it to win it all the time. It's not, and he's right. He's right in this instance. I really believe it. Now, I'm not saying everything else he writes is right, okay, but I'm saying that was a good point. And to me, it it convicted me that I have to be careful on, on the way that I view others and communicate with others and those types of things. We as Christians should be grateful, that as fascinating as these topics are to study them in Revelation, we will not have to experience any of this. The stuff that's going on in heaven that we read about, that's what we're experiencing. This stuff, the number of the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, the idol that's freaking people out by talking to them, all this stuff, we don't have to experience that. That's not part of our story. We're not looking for the mark of the beast. You know, we're, we're looking for the seal of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, 13 through 14, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. We're looking for the seal of the Lord. We're not looking for the Antichrist. We're not looking for the mark of the beast. That's not the stuff we're looking for. What we should be looking for is, do I see evidence in my life that shows that I'm born again? Am I a new creation in Christ? I'm looking for the seal of the Lord is what I'm looking for. Have I accepted the truth? Have I believed the truth? Have I incorporated the truth in my life? And am I a new creation in Christ? That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for a mark. I'm not looking for the system that the enemy is going to use. I'm concerned about the seal of the Lord, not the mark of the enemy. And that's what we need to be focused with when we're sharing with people and explaining these things is focus on the seal, not the mark. Because all non-believers are interested in the mark everybody wants to talk about the mark of the beast right i even band growing up i had to look at the lyrics on their iron maiden had number of the beast and i was like i wonder how how accurate they're you know and it was not completely yeah i haven't thought of and now you're gonna go listen to it but it just i read the lyrics and i was you know the first portion of the lyrics was actually biblically correct he must have had a biblical influence in his life and then it fell apart rapidly after that okay but I just, I, again, the world is fascinated by the mark of the beast. But again, our attention should be on the seal of the Lord. You know, we're not, we are not looking for the mark. We're looking for the seal, not the mark. That's what we're looking for. And that's what we're trying to help people find. Are you sealed by the Holy Spirit? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord? Has it changed your life? That's the seal. You, you want to know that you're owned by the Lord before he returns. And he'll put his seal on you and it'll show through the fruit of the spirit and the different evidences that show that you're born again. These things will be evident. That's important, okay? Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you Lord for your word. And and I thank you for this example that we have here and help us not to be people that are just focused on everything else right now because there's so many distractions. There's so many things happening. And uh, like I said, a lot of it, we can become very mean-spirited in the way that we communicate maybe some of the things that we're passionate about. Lord, would you help us not to be that way? Help us to be able to speak the truth, but in love. And then help us to focus on the things that are important right now. Not the divisive things, but the things that are essential. Help us to focus on the things that are eternal, necessary for eternity, Lord. I thank you that you've given us enough information, even though we don't completely understand it, Uh, looking at these passages, there's some mystery to it. We won't know until the time comes, but I thank you that we don't have to be here waiting to see how it all goes down, that we can trust you, Lord, and that we can just, again, trust that you will have us with you at that time. Thank you, Lord, because we want to escape these things. We want to be with you during this time. So Father, would you just please help us to be walking in the spirit this week? If there's anything that needs to be dealt with in our life, would you bring conviction to it? If there's anything that needs to be shored up in our life, would you please strengthen our faith? And uh, Father, we just thank you for all that you're gonna do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.